It should be our primary way of thinking. And we'll go into that a little bit more. Thank you for being here this morning. We appreciate you being here. And that's the other thing, too, very very quickly, not to get into another sermon or anything, but I appreciate that you guys treat church as something that is important to do and not as an afterthought. Because many people treat church as an afterthought or they don't even think about it. And dare I say, some of these people might be people who profess to know Jesus as Lord. But there is evidence in Scripture and in how things are going. If you just look at life today, everybody who professes to know Jesus may not know Jesus. So I'm going to trust that's no one in this room. But when we get into this and we get into people who are watching online and listening also, it's for everybody to pay attention to. Let's look to the Lord with a word of prayer. We'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. And Lord, we want to magnify your name in the way that you would have us to. Lord, we want to be obedient to your word. We want to be obedient to your way. We want to live in such a manner where we glorify you in all the things that we do. But Lord, we ask that you continue to teach us. Give us wisdom. We thank you for your word that provides knowledge. Now just give us wisdom to take that knowledge and use it before others. Bless us at this time, Lord, and we thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Do you need encouragement? At some time or place in your life, you need encouragement. We all need encouragement. God knows this as well, too. He is highly sensitive to what's going on in your life. And he knows what will encourage you. There are others, people in your life, who can rally around you when you're going through difficulty. But one of the best ways to be encouraged is to stop, unplug, and get into God's word with reflection and prayer. My lovely bride and I had a chance this past week to stop our regular routine and literally unplug in Ohio Amish country. We visited Berlin and Sugar Creek, but we stayed near Winesburg in a wooded area at Treehouse Village for a couple of days. There's no television And just a little bit of Wi-Fi. I mean, just enough where that Wi-Fi would kick in and then kick out and kick in and kick back. Very weak Wi-Fi. But you're not going there for the (laughs) Wi-Fi. It was very peaceful and quiet. Very peaceful and quiet. With all of that time to ourselves, we could play some music on our electronic devices. Right, Roscoe? We could do that. But we could also have the quiet time to talk. Talk and 
also sit and read and reflect upon God's word. It also reminds me of the Amish who live in the area. I have a ton of respect for them. You know, they are very hardworking people. They always have smiles on their faces. They move in faith and they live in simplicity. You would think that, you know, why aren't they doing what we're doing? They're doing exactly what they think they should be doing, living in simplicity. When they're not working, they spend a significant amount of time worshiping God, studying the Bible, and living in prayer. They do a better job than most at keeping their priorities as God's faithful servants. They're serving God in what they do and how they go about it. This is a good opportunity for us to explore how each of us, from wherever you are in your relationship with God, can hit the refresh button, because sometimes we need to do that, and put the time and effort into bolster your prayer life. What does the Bible tell us about prayer? Please turn your Bibles and electronic devices to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to look at verses 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Now it's good to include verses 16 and 18 in this because I could have just said verse 17 all by itself. But let's include the whole thing here because we need to see the entire picture. Verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will. Check that out. His desire for you to be thankful in everything and in a state of prayer throughout your day. Throughout your day. Knowing this, it comes right down to living in obedience to God and taking in His Word as He knows what is best for you. God knows what's best for you. He knows exactly what you need. He's our encourager. Praying all the time means developing a persistent prayer life. A persistent prayer life. That's what praying continually means. A persistent prayer life offers resistance to an inconsistent life in Jesus. How do we plug in the gaps in our life? We pray. How do we fill in those places that need to be filled in? Just like the chuck hole, the pothole, has to have filler. It has to be taken care of, otherwise the hole is going to be there. Prayer in our life fills those holes in our life. Let's define the word persistent, because we need to give 
always know what we're speaking about because words mean things. When you hear the definition, you're going to see why this is relevant to all of us who are interested in learning about the need to stay focused on prayer. Persistent is an adjective. It involves continuing firmly or obstinately in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Notice the words, in spite of difficulty or opposition. We certainly can pray when the times are good. But we, you know, and we certainly need to pray when times are bad, but the bottom line is that we stay in prayer regardless of what the obstacles are. Now the word obstinately in this definition can have a negative connotation as it does refer to being stubborn, stubbornness or resistance to change. But it also means for the purposes of this message, staying the course in spite of arguments to the contrary. In other words, there are going to be people who will tell you, you don't need to pray. What's all this stuff about prayer? You don't need to pray. I'm tired of hearing about prayer. How much of that nonsense have we heard over the past few years? Because something happens. You don't stop praying because somebody tells you to stop praying. Amen? That wasn't a loud enough amen, but okay, I'll accept it for right now. But ain't nobody going to tell me to stop praying. I'll just personalize it. How's that? This is relevant to our discussion because as world dwellers, we live in the world, amen, there's ongoing pressure to conform to how the world does things. There's an ongoing pressure for even the church to conform to the ways of the world. We've seen this. We know this is the case. The person who is persistent in prayer resists this pressure because you're focusing on him. He's the one who's in control. The danger is to not become one like Balaam. I can't tell you how many times I've seen discussion over my reading recently about Balaam, who was a prophet for God, but his fatal attraction was compromising God's commands for worldly pleasures. That's what Balaam was all about. Turn, please, to Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Balaam gets a lot of attention in Scripture, especially in the book of Numbers, but he gets attention for the wrong reasons. And it's, it's interesting how we say that, yeah, Balaam was a prophet for, of God. He spoke the message of God, and he did use a lot of truth in the messages he spoke. But Balaam had a problem. He allowed himself to be subjected to the cares of the world. Revelation 2, verse 14. What did I say? 1 to 4? I don't mean to say that. Revelation 2, 14. I apologize. I can't even read my own writing. Revelation 2, verse 14 is what we want. 
This is the NIV version. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He's referring to the church at Pergamum. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. This is what Balaam was all about. Along with his greed for money, which angered God to the point where he made Balaam's donkey try to talk some sense into him. If God has to use extraordinary ways to get you to listen to him and pay attention, I'm here to tell you that's not such a very good thing. If God has to go through all kinds of stuff to get you to pay attention to him, that ain't too cool. And if a donkey has to talk to me about anything, first thing I'm going to do is just fall on my face right on the ground because obviously I must have missed something. That's really something. I'm going to trust that you don't need the talking donkey treatment to get you to do what's right. Amen? You don't need a talking donkey in your life to tell you what's right. Keep in mind here that Balaam still chose, in spite of that donkey incident, to live sinfully and have a negative impact on others. Turn back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Peter 2, verse 15. Second Peter 2, verse 15. Now this will be from the New Living Translation. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. There's a lot of folks that fit that category today, Amen. Earning money by doing wrong. It's interesting how we have to tell people, remind people who know the difference between right and wrong to do what's right. Just do what's right. Now, to be clear, we're still speaking about persistence of prayer in your life. And we have to understand that failure to stay in prayer at all let alone with persistence, leads to idleness. Idleness that can easily be controlled by your flesh, fleshly desires. The less you pray, the more you're subject to idleness, being taken in by what the world is doing. Fleshly desires are prevalent when prayer is absent. Bank on it. And this is the greatest challenge for many people, including people who profess to believe in Jesus. A lot of people know who Jesus is, but some of us just don't seem to have the desire or the drive to want to grow more and more in Jesus. Have you ever wondered about that? 
people who say they know the Lord, but you don't see anything happening where you see some movement in their life relative to a relationship with Jesus. So for those individuals listening or paying attention, be careful. If the desire is not there, it defaults to a place where you don't really want to be. Go to John chapter 5. Let's look at verses 37 to 42. John 5, verses 37 to 42. Now these are going to be Jesus' words. And Jesus, often through Scripture, gives encouragement, which is what we need, but he also gives us warnings. He gives us warnings. Things that we need to see about truth. Being a Christian is not a game. It's serious stuff. And we are thankful that we have the joy of Christ in our lives, those of us who believe in Jesus. But a lot of people treat this like being a game. People just say stuff and they don't even mean it. But look what it says in verse 37 of John chapter 5. We're going to read again through to 42. And the Father who has sent me himself born witness about me, his voice you have heard, never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So like I said, people know who Jesus is, but they don't believe he is who he is. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Listen, we're we're talking about people who know what the scriptures say. That's very telling, everybody. Verse 41, I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Now, who was he talking to? The Pharisees. People who supposedly knew better. Who knew the word. Who knew what the word said. Let's stop and think about this for a moment. When we say we love Jesus, are we saying it because other people are saying it and we don't want to look strange or weird? Or do you love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind? It's actually neither or, isn't it? Either you do or you don't. There's a good reason why Jesus has given us a literal command to love him in this manner. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now we're going to look at verse 1. And then we're going to drop down and look at verses 4 through 6. But I want you to see how important this thing about loving God is. It starts with loving God, and then we understand about Jesus more and more as we learn more about him, and love him as well too. But look at what it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Pick up on the words, commands, 
These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. Now drop down to verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Commit to them. It has to be a command because anything less falls short for you and me when it comes to looking at Jesus. It's got to be a command for us to love God. He's making it very clear of the importance of loving God because he commands it. It's not like, well, you can and you, you don't have to, but, you know, he doesn't make it an ambiguous statement. Our love for God shows him respect and reverence. And the command is something that we are willing to commit to and keep in front of us all day and every day for those that truly love God. Now, loving God is optional, of course. It's an option. It's your choice. You have to ask yourself if your choice is a good one for your present and future. You're only going to do what you want to do. Amen? You're only going to do what you want to do. You can go out and pretend to love God before everybody else and go home and, and do whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own home. You can do whatever you want and you're going to do what you want to do. You're going to only focus on prayer, any kind of prayer, because you want to do it. So in order for you to be persistent in prayer, you have to want to do it in order to do it well and successfully. Loving God is a great place to start. Loving Jesus is a prerequisite for developing and improving your prayer life. Practice makes for a better prayer life. A persistent prayer life begins with a consistent prayer life. That's not a conflict. It starts with consistency. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. We have to understand that in this world we have to be consistent and we have to have the attitude and the mindset that when things are tough in our lives, we should be praying, not sitting idly and not giving up. And that's what Galatians 6, 9 is going to tell us right here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 Now I'll read from the ESV version. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Amen? Don't get tired of doing the right thing. Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap 
if we do not give up. A lot of folks have thrown the towel in. I give up. I can't take it anymore. Take what? But we will reap if we do not give up in due season. How do we develop a consistent and then persistent prayer life? Number one, you can write this down, and this is something that's going to seem very obvious, right? Establish good reading and study habits. Establish good reading and study habits. Because it prompts you to pray more as you gain godly wisdom from the Word. The more you read Scripture, the more you're going to have the inclination to ask God in prayer for understanding. It's almost common sense. Hey, pick a Bible plan. We've talked about the two-year Bible plan here for years, to get you through the Bible in two years. There's also the Shane Bible plan, which I'm also reading right now. It takes you through the Bible in a year. Now, it's going to take more focus to get through the Bible in a year because there's more reading every day. But guess what? It does a great job. But pick a Bible plan, for goodness sake. That's what they're there for. Next, select and keep a regular time. You know, I, I, I can't follow a schedule that's all over the place. There's got to be a set time for you to sit down before the Lord and get into the Word and read. So pick the time. For you night owls, maybe nighttime is better for you. I'm not a night owl like that. i got to do it early. But pick a time, but be flexible, but don't slack off, for goodness sake. That's the other thing. Don't slack off. Don't be somebody who starts something and says, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you just gave up. You just gave up. Sometimes being a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to sacrifice your time. What you think is important ain't that daggone important when it comes to reading the Word. Go to Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to look, Proverbs 1, sorry about that, Proverbs 1. Keep always saying chapter. That's, I'm just used to saying that. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. I want you to understand what the Word does for you to help you, to get you in the frame of mind, to make sure that as you stay in the Word, you become more prayerful. Proverbs 1, verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 7. You'll find yourself spending a lot of time in the Psalms and Proverbs, by the way, when you do these readings. And look what the reading will give you. Verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, 
knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. That's why you read God's word. The first seven passages in Proverbs give you a reason why you're there. Number two, stay focused with living in obedience. Now, after all this reading and studying, you need to live out the lessons that you learn from your daily reading. You can get something out of every daily reading of the Bible. Amen? You can get something out of it. Maybe a little, but you're getting something out of it. Maybe a lot. But what you should be doing with your reading time is stopping and reflecting upon what you've read. In other words, you just don't go through the daily reading and say, okay, I'm done, that's it, that's it. You reflect upon what you've read. You know, we have a thing that we call the 15-minute devotional that we do every week. It's just to get people interested in reading God's Word. But if you're on the two-year Bible plan, 15 minutes of time, 7 to 10 minutes of reading, and then five to eight minutes of prayer and reflection. Fifteen minutes! And every time that you sit before the Lord, He makes you wiser. It's not a waste of time. It's time well spent. And we need to talk about this more. Because we've got so many people out there who are ignorant of the Word. How can you be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and not know God's word? Not even the basics. Something's not right. Sorry for being all highfalutin about this right now, but I guess really it gets to me sometimes. How can you say you know Jesus Christ you don't know the word? And we're not asking you to go and read a, write, write out a dissertation. Just basic stuff. Be spirit-filled. Be spirit-filled. John Piper describes being spirit-filled as more than just acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is present in your life. But he refers to it as radiant joy because the Spirit who fills us is the Spirit of joy that flows between God the Father and God the Son because of the delight that they have in each other. And you even saw that in the, re- in the communication between God and Jesus. This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Being filled means that you too are experiencing that same joy. That's what it's all about. Do you experience joy? Do you feel joy because of the presence of Christ in your life? You should. Now I'm not going to tell you how to feel it. But you should be experiencing some sort of joy because of God's presence, because he is sufficient for us. He's sufficient. 
Paul had to learn that too. Man, I've got something that's aching and I want it taken away. And he asked God not one, two, but three times to take that pain away. And then God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. That's our sufficiency. That same love for God is what makes you the believer in Christ to experience and share in this radiant joy. Acts 13.52 said, The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The disciples, the ones who were being sent out with the message, they felt joy from the presence of the Holy Spirit. We should experience that same joy. When things are tough, you should still be able to experience God's joy. Because things are going to be tough sometimes. My goodness, we came through COVID. How in the world did you get through all that? In some way, shape, or form, God had to show joy to you. When everything else looks crazy, the joy of the presence of God got you through it. And I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet, but there's more to come, I'm sure. We might have to get through something else eventually, but God's going to do it. Use filters for what you take in, everybody. Now, I told you we went on a retreat. We had no TV. That wasn't all bad. Use filters for what you take in, what you watch on television, what you do as far as listening to music, and for goodness sake, social media. Filters. I'm not telling you to do what the Amish do. They do what they do. You can still watch TV, but you need to know what you're watching. You can still listen to music, but you know the difference between good music that glorifies God or music that doesn't do anything like that. Maybe it's jazz or something like that. And music that, for goodness sake, why are you listening to that? You know the difference. If it offends your sensibilities, why are you listening to it? And why are you allowing your kids to listen to it? Number three, practice prayer throughout the day with a routine. A routine, a daily routine of practicing prayer all day long. Now we have to practice it because we are developing now from a consistent prayer life to a persistent prayer life. The communication of prayer is done either silently or with the spoken word. You're either going to pray in your mind to the Lord or you're going to speak out loud about it. That's how you do it. In every instance, Jesus Christ hears whatever it is you're praying for. You know that? He knows even when you're praying in your head. He knows exactly what you're praying about. That's a wonderful thing. He knows all about you. He knows what you think. He knows where you are. He knows your feelings. Prayer is our way to relate to God. He is God who is holy, just as he declares in his word, but he is also a personal God in that we can relate to him on a meaningful level. We know that because of the life of Jesus Christ. Of course he's a personal God. 
He knows all about you. He loves you when you make the effort to pray. He loves that act. He even loves for you to come to him when mere words fail you. And there's going to be times when that's going to happen. You don't know what to pray. Okay, so go to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at that. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. There are going to be times when... Now, first of all, we're not going to be like praying like, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. And try to sound like some preacher that should have retired. Okay? The bottom line is that sometimes you don't know what to pray. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be a linguist. You don't have to know everything that's on your heart. You're still trying to sort stuff out for whatever you're going through. Look what it says in Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Wow, look what the Holy Spirit does for you. He knows your very being. He knows all about you and communicates your thoughts and prayers to the Father. Verse 27, and he searches hearts. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. Wow. It's God's will to know your heart. He intercedes for us. He knows your heart. He knows what you want. He just wants you to express yourself in the best manner that you can. Just start. Just start praying. Just start doing it the best that you can. It's not for his benefit. Listen to this. It's not for his benefit that you're doing. It's for your benefit. For goodness sake, it's for your benefit. You're the one trying to express to God how you're feeling. You're the one talking to him about what's going on in your life. It's not for his benefit. It's for your benefit. That's why you're doing it. He wants you to experience his goodness as he communicates with you through his word. He's going to encourage you. Remember when I said we always need encouragement? He's going to encourage you because you know that he is listening and understanding you even when you can't make any sense out of it. And that's for us, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of times. It doesn't make any sense. But yet he understands. In his response to your prayers, God has a number of ways that he communicates with you. He communicates back, maybe he'll speak audibly to you. Maybe he'll do it through dreams. Maybe he'll do it through the circumstances of life or with other people who come and talk to you. But his primary means of communication with you is through the words of the Bible. Through scripture. That's the primary way. That's why there has been a great deal of emphasis on the importance of reading the Bible regularly. If you're reading the Bible regularly, he's speaking to you every day. He wants to give you greater understanding about who he is and his relationship with you. When people ask the question, who is God? Well, you've got a better idea than most because you're in the word. 
You don't have complete understanding, but you're further ahead than a lot of folks because you're in the Word. The Holy Spirit can provide wisdom and knowledge that will lend to a stronger, effective, and vibrant prayer life. My goodness, that's what we want. When you don't think you know where God is in your life, just reach out and ask Him in faith. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. As believers, we have amazing authority and ability to look to God's Word. But we have to ask. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask. Seek. Knock. Flip over to James chapter 1. Let's look at James 1. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8. You know, I'm not the smartest person that ever lived. And thank you for not chiming in saying amen. We appreciate that. I'm not the smartest person that ever lived, but I know that I can get wisdom from my Lord. But you have to ask. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. How about that? God's never going to come back to you and say, well, that was the stupidest question I've ever heard in my life. That's not in his character to do that, everybody. He's not going to criticize you for coming to ask a question. He's not like human beings. He doesn't respond the way humans respond. Verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Faith is a key component of a persistent life of prayer. Faith. This faith believes that God is more than able to do what? Answer you. He is more than capable of answering your prayers. Now, don't pray as if you're praying like what the world might do where you're looking for an answer that is not going to come. We don't use a lottery mentality of prayer. Lord, give me a million dollars. Lord, give me a big house. Lord, do this. Who are you praying to? We should be praying, frankly, with humility. Amen? We humble ourselves before the Lord. God's not a genie. Faith is what we need to be praying with. When things are uncertain in life, faith in Jesus means deeming Him as more, sufficient, more than sufficient. He is more than sufficient in our lives. When we have nothing, 
Jesus is more than sufficient. And that's the way we have to think sometimes. We're blessed to have what we have, but will you still bless the Lord when you have nothing? Because he's got you in your nothingness. Amen? And that's the way we need to think. Faith is necessary. Hebrews 11.6 says so. Without faith it is impossible to please him. You can't please God without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is a necessary element of this. It's a necessary element for you to believe in Jesus Christ. If your life is empty in some way, shape, or form, consider today in this moment that Jesus is missing in the picture. Perhaps Jesus is missing in the picture. If your life is just completely turned upside down, consider that. Think carefully about what you value most and see if Jesus comes first. Does Jesus still come first in your life after you've gone through everything you've been involved in? Is Jesus first? Or is he too far down the pecking hole you lose sight? Believers in Jesus are not the ones who make a show of calling on Jesus after they've done everything else they could do. He's not a last resort, for goodness sake. He's first. That's where he always needs to be. He's first. He's first on our jobs. He's first as we walk down the street. He's first as we travel on vacation. He's first. Notice how I said vacation. We don't put Jesus away because we go on vacation. Amen? He doesn't put you away somewhere. Take the time and make the time to do what's most important for you. Spend time in the Word. Focus on that. Your commitment to a persistent prayer life will require you to ensure that it is consistent. It, that it is consistent. And don't overthink this process. Let's get back to the basics about prayer. Amen? Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. Some of you may recognize where this is in Scripture. And this is for those individuals, I don't know what to pray about. Well, if you, if, if you fall in this category where you don't know what to pray about, let's see what Jesus says about it. And let's see if that gives you a great starting point. Verse 1, Luke 11. This is from the Holman Christian Center Bible version. Just follow along on yours. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, teach us to pray, excuse me, just as John, meaning John the Baptist, also taught his disciples. Verse 2, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Now this is referred to as the model prayer that Jesus himself relays to his disciples. He's giving them a foundational element of prayer. A foundational element. Know that it touches on five key components of our relationship with God. What is it all about? Our relationship with the Lord. The elements are reverence to God, His holiness, and His eternal kingdom. Thankfulness for His provision, His food, clothing, and help. You're thankful for that. Amen? Well, you should be thankful for it. Our dependence upon His forgiveness for sin. Our desire to humble ourselves before others, our reliance upon his power to help us overcome temptation of sin. Each of these components creates the environment of a healthy, growth-oriented relationship with Jesus Christ. Your spiritual growth in Christ is fertile ground for God being able to use you in a mighty way. If you're praying, and every prayer is not going to be like this, right? Every prayer is not going to be like the Lord's Prayer. But each time you pray, consider that these components of the model prayer in Luke 11 are the foundation of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Where would you be without Jesus Christ? Where would you be? And we were talking about that this morning. What if Jesus didn't go to the cross for us? We'd be more than up a creek. Take this information about prayer and make it part of your daily routine. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and provide guidance. Go to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 8. Psalm 32, verse 8. The more that you're in the Word, the more that you're taking the time to be in the Word, Here's a promise that's right here in this, in this verse. And this is God essentially speaking to you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful statement. This is for you, everybody. This is what God has for you. Because you're taking the time to be in communion with him in his word. He's going to give you what you need to live your life. Flip over now to Psalm 37. Flip ahead to Psalm 37. And this passage I pulled out because... We know how life is at times. It doesn't always go smoothly. 
But God goes through those experiences through you. Jesus knows all about those experiences too. And so this is what the word says. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord upholds his hand. God's with you no matter what you're going through. He's right there with you. He's there in the hospital room. He's there in the bed, bedside. He's there as you're walking and talking and living and doing things. He's there with you everywhere you go. And no matter what you're going through, he's going to hold your hand up. He'll be right there with you. A regular routine is very basic and very simple to follow. Doesn't require anyone to be a great student of the Bible or a great linguist in prayer. God doesn't want eloquence. He just wants you. He just wants you. He doesn't want you to show him how smart you are. Don't waste your time with that. But he wants your humility. He wants a humble heart. That's what he wants from you. You have to have a willing spirit and desire to grow in your love for Jesus Christ. That's all. Just the desire. What you put into it, you're going to get out of it. And the results will be nothing short of gratifying and amazing. Okay, let's close out. John, uh, pardon me, James chapter 5. Go to James 5. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This is the NIV version. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Amen. This is a mindset, everybody. Persistent prayer must be a mindset. Anything less is insufficient. There's no better time than right now to lift up your brothers and sisters in prayer. Be persistent and let the Lord show you his power and his glory as he responds to you. Father, we are thankful for this teaching that you give to us, showing us the importance of being in prayer, not just a little, but a lot. All day long, as you say in your word, 
the mindset that we have is always a prayerful mindset to you. That's what we want. That's what we desire. And Lord, help us with this effort because we know that we'll have opposition to this. The cares of the world is our greatest obstacle to this effort. I pray, Lord, that you now speak to us and help us in this process. Lord, we want to know you and more, know more about you, but Lord, may we have the effort and the ability to recognize the need to sit before you, before your word, and pray. And I thank you, Lord, for how you indeed make it very simple for us just to go to your word. There are so many different ways we can go to your word. We can go into our Bibles, our paper Bibles. We can go into our iPhones, our iPads. We have Bibles in front of us. Lord, help us to use them. It's never been easier to get into your word. And yet sometimes we make it so hard. Lord, help us to not have hearts that are hardened. Soften our hearts to you. Help us to focus on your truth. We thank you, Lord, for these answers to prayer to come. And Lord, may we always remember those individuals in our lives who do not know you personally. May we always lift them up to you. May we do so all day long and every day until they have that saving knowledge of you. Lord, we can't give up. Help us to not give up in this area. Remember those that need your prayers. And Lord, we thank you for how you strengthen us when we need strengthening. How you comfort us when we need comfort. How you bless us even when we don't ask. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless us and keep us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Just for me.